welcome to the 16th edition of the Michael Heath Show, the show by the average fan. If you haven't already, please give us a like on Facebook, the Michael Heath Show, as well as on Twitter. Give us a follow at Heath Show is the Twitter handle. And if you can please tell all your friends, family, co-workers, dogs, cats, whatever, to give the show a listen to, that would be greatly appreciated. Tell them what it's about, and if you have any suggestions, please let me know over the Facebook app or via t- Twitter. Alright, there's a few things I want to get into today. Hopefully this show won't be as long as the previous. I'm hoping to keep it under an hour, maybe. If not, well, we'll just see how it goes. Alright, the National Championship game. There's a lot to dive into there. The game itself and the aftermath of the National Championship game. Now, I only was able to watch the first half of the National Championship game. Which started out Clemson coming out, throwing haymakers, landing haymakers, only ultimately to fall behind before halftime because LSU came roaring back. Then the rest is history. I wake up later that night to check to see what happened, check the score, and LSU in a way blew the doors off of them. Late in that game. I don't know if it was late in the game. Because I didn't watch the second half. Because as soon as I seen the score. I was like, you know what? I DVR'd it. I'm not going to go back and watch watch it. I, You know, it was how I kind of was telling you guys last week. Of how I expected it to go. I thought Clemson was going to keep it close. For most of the game. And or at least, you know, the first half of the game. But I think but I thought that. LSU was going to be able to pull ahead either late in the game or some point in the game, which I thought was going to be kind of later rather than soon. You know, that was even proper English, but whatever. Later rather than, oh. But by the looks of it, they... Only scored 14 more points in the second half. Because so I'm looking at the box score right now. LSU just had a phenomenal second quarter. Compared to what Clemson had. I remember correctly, Clemson went up 17-0 then. Or 17-7. And... LSU just pulled away eventually. And then LSU just scored 14 more points. So they pulled it away towards the end of the game, really, because Clemson scores eight points in the third, and LSU scores seven, and then LSU adds another touchdown to it. So that went about the way I expected I expected it to in some, you know, way, shape, or form. But what happens afterwards, I did not expect. And it seemed like LSU hit as soon as the clock hit zero on that national championship game. It seemed like things were starting to come unglued for LSU. 
you have Odell Beckham Jr., who is now a wide receiver, a wide receiver for the Cleveland Browns, and you see him in front of a camera passing out money to LSU players after they just won a national championship game in front of cameras, in front of media. He did that on the field. Then later, when he is, when the team's in the locker room, you see him on camera, what seemed to be, well, by what I've heard, I should say, I didn't see, I didn't care to take a look at the video, even though I probably should have, but, you know, better stuff to do with my time. I shouldn't say that. It wasn't anything better to do with my time. I've just been busy. Shouldn't say that because I want to talk about it. So it is worth my time. So let me correct myself there. But it looks like he apparently threw a wad of cash at the back of the head of a security guard or a police officer and then flaps his behind. So he threw a wad of cash at the back of the head of a police officer and slapped him in the butt. What in the right mind makes you think that not only handing money to college students, not college students, but college athletes, student athletes, handing them fistfuls of cash in front of cameras, in front of media members, is a good idea. Let alone touch a police officer slash security guard. That seemed to be unclear because out of a lot of radio shows I listen to, it's been kind of conflicting between or conflicting between security guard and police officer. Either way, you shouldn't even be touching anyone. That you do not know. No, you shouldn't be touching people even if you do know them. You shouldn't be touching them. It's... Why? What made you think it would be a good idea to put your hands on a person that you do not know? Let alone if you knew someone. Okay, that might be a little more reasonable or you could defend that. But you did not know this person and you decided to put your hands on them. For no reason whatsoever. If, you know, we always play this what if game where if I was this or blah, blah, blah. What well, I am surprised. Knowing, knowing Ed Orgeron or knowing or not knowing, but thinking that the type of guy that he hit is that he would have even allowed that to happen. Um, you know what? I think we're I'm digging into this a little bit in the wrong way. What I'm trying to say is that Ed Orgeron, you think he'd seem like the person that would not hold up to that BS. Because right now, you just won. You're Ed Orgeron. Your program just won the biggest game in the history of the program at that moment. Yeah, LSU has won multiple national championships before. But for Ed Ordron, this is the biggest game of his life. 
biggest game of his program. He's running a program that, one, no one really wanted him to run. No one wanted Ed Orgeron to run their program, whether he was at USC, Ole Miss, any stops along the way. They did not want him running the program. LSU kind of had to, by luck, had to have him as their head coach. Because the guy that they wanted, Jimbo Fisher, was going went to Texas A&M. So here you are. You just proved all the doubters wrong. You put in hard work. Put your heart and soul into this team. And you pretty much helped create. You were the cap, essentially the captain that created one of the best college football teams college football has ever seen. You're the head man in that. You had your name all written all over that. And in a matter of seconds, in a matter of minutes, you let some clown like Odell Beckham Jr. go in and immediately make it about himself and immediately put your program in a bad light and immediately take away from what you just earned. And it seems like it's just unraveling. From that point on, it seems like it's unraveling. Because you have Odell Beckham Jr. being a dumbass. Then you have Joe Burrow laying up a stogie in the locker room. Which, again, we're in 2019 or 2020 now. What makes you think that smoking in a public place is even allowed. Yeah, it's in their own private little section, but smoking in a building like the Superdome would be even allowed, which I, I don't think it is. I know a lot of the bars, restaurants, sport, uh, sporting venues here, or entertainment venues, whatever you want to call them, here do not allow smoking anymore. I remember they used to, but not anymore. So you have that on camera now. Start things are you have Odell Beckham in your locker room exploding the place, ex- pretty much blowing up your program, and now you have Joe Burrow who immediately later on says that he accepted cash smoking a sogi or a cigar in the locker room to make matters worse for Ed Orgeron, which this was going to be. I mean. One of the highlights of your career, which is the highlight of your career, you have the Odell Beckham. Now you have you have Joe Burrow laying up a cigar. Now, next day or two, we have Joe Brady. He bolts to the NFL. He goes to Carolina under Matt to work under Matt Rule. Then a little bit later, Dave Veranda. I think it was announced Friday that he is going to be the new head coach at Baylor. So you can kind of see your world just kind of crumbling around you after you made this world 
what it is. He took this program to the pinnacle, and within a matter of minutes, it was just falling apart. I just, as of right now, how it's looking, LSU is not in a right spot to repeat. A year ago, you said that about Clemson because it didn't look like the world was falling around, you know, was burning around them like it is for LSU right now. Everything's just falling apart. The wheels are coming off of this hell of a program that you built, and there's nothing you can essentially do about it. Why? Now, my question is. Why would you let Odell Beckham in the locker room after he started handing out money to players? Maybe he didn't know. Maybe he didn't see it. But I'll be shocked. I know he's an LSU alumni. He's regarded very highly in that circle. But you got to know that he just put a big negative spotlight on your program. And on your school, you cannot allow that to happen again. I don't care if I'm Ed Ordron. I don't care what who he is, what he does. I don't care if he buys my next five teams headphones or whatever for every single one of them. I don't care. He's not allowed near my team. Because all he does when he goes near a team is just blow it up. He did that with New York kind of doing that with Cleveland. And they're just bad. Bad, bad juju. It's going around. That comes around him. And then actually during the game, when I was watching it, I actually flipped through an article where it was the LSU booster scandal. I read some of it, and it was kind of... It, it, it doesn't take away from anything that Ed Orgeron or the team itself did it doesn't take away any of that i don't think but what it does it does put another black eye on the program i mean it essentially right now lsu has been self-destructing and now this is essentially another black eye for the program or for lsu at least Let me see if I can't find that art article. And it's fun and it's weird because this it's barely taken into consideration. It's been actually this scandal has been actually pushed to the side because of what's been happening. Now it has been reported that in last August there was LSU booster named John Paul Foons had pleaded guilty to embezzling more than $800,000 from a hospital charitable foundation, including gift cards meant for cancer patients. He had directed $180,000 of the foundation's money to the father of Vidal Alexander, an LSU offensive lineman at the time. As part of his scheme to make it appear as though the father was working for the foundation. 
he had also flown friends of family, friends and family to the LSU games on the Foundation Dime, trips that were logged as outbound patient transports. At his sentencing, he apologized for the awful and senseless crimes, according to Educator Baton Rouge. He'll be spending uh, 33 months in prison in Indiana. His final tweet came the final days before LSU went over Alabama when he quoted sports. Man, we're all just paying rent in your world right now. And that was a quote from an interview when he quoted Rich Eisen with LSU head coach Ed Orgeron. Man, we're just all paying rent in your world. So he has no remorse for what he did, essentially. I mean, I guess it does mean more down there when you're willing to embezzle money from a charitable foundation. A charitable hospital foundation. How the hell? Why? How? How do you even think, hey, I'm going to take money away from people that actually need it, give it to someone that may need it, but has means of getting it themselves just because of of a football game or of the game of football? No, this isn't what football is about. And I think we've taken it way too seriously. It's one thing that talking has talked about it and, you know, we dive deep into it. But now I it. When you're stealing money from a charitable organization, yeah, you you definitely have your priorities mixed up. If a okay, and I like this quote: "If a booster stealing from a cancer charity to pay off the father of a starting offensive lineman." Doesn't move the needle anymore. Maybe it's time to find a new rule book. And this is from Dan Wolken. Or yeah, by Dan Wolken from USA Today. This is where I got I quoted a lot of this stuff I said about this topic. And really, we've gone way too far as a society. That we're putting importance of a football game and we've done it plenty of times in the past where since he's a mega sports star he gets away with this i mean look at oj simpson he got away with two murders you can say oh well he well, he didn't murder him blah 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 no you're just an idiot if you believe that one there wasn't a mountain of evidence against him and two he didn't have the money to pay for a hell of a lawyer so somehow and somehow got him off. And it, probably an idiot prosecutor that couldn't prosecute someone that had this mountain of evidence, but yet couldn't, couldn't get it to stick. I don't know. But which we'll dive a little bit more into that too, because I watched something very interesting on Netflix and probably gives a giveaway. So, it seems like LSU is crumbling. So, let's do a little recap. One, LSU national champions. Two, 
their world is crumbling around them. Three, Odell Beckham Jr. is a complete idiot. And four, LSU Booster, whatever his name is, should probably be shot in the back of the head for what he did. Stealing from cancer patients. Come on. There's not too many things that I'll say that. But that deserves it. And that's a snow bueno. All right. Let's get into some uh, Michigan talk. Michigan Wolverines. They have been in the news quite recently, this past week. As they've had a shift in their staff. A lot of shifts, actually. As we all know, Chris Partridge, he left. I think he went to go to Ole Miss, I believe, and take a coaching job down there. So we left them with one spot. Then it seemed like James or Anthony Capanelli, he left for Miami, for the Miami Dolphins, to get take a job with the Miami Dolphins. He was the linebacker coach. So left them with two defensive openings, and they have filled them this week. They hired Mississippi State defensive coordinator Bob Shoup, or former defensive coordinator. He was not retained under Mike Leach, so he was looking for a job and found looks like he found one quite fast. He is going to actually be the safety coach. And he has spent most of his career as either a defensive back coach or a defensive coordinator coach. And he's actually had pretty good success as a defensive coordinator. So this is a very, very good hire by Michigan. And I like to do a little bit, like I said, I like to do a little bit of research before I make a final judgment on this guy, read him up. And he, he spent most of his time on the defensive side of the ball, even though he played as a wide receiver in college and he's had great success doing it I think he's going to hopefully continue that and I hope they add and they take Don Brown takes a lot from him because he seems to be very knowledgeable and they have hired Brian Gene Mary as their linebacker coach I didn't get much into him but Seems seems like another solid hire. I haven't been able to research much on him or read much on him because I think that news just came down last, I think yesterday, but I haven't had the time. But we'll take a little small little break real quick and be right back. Welcome back to the Michael Heath Show, the show by the average fan. If you haven't already, please give us a like on Facebook, The Michael Heath Show, as well as give us a follow on Twitter, at Heath Show. And as well as tell your friends, family, co-workers, cat, dog, goldfish, whatever you have, ferret, please tell them, give them a list, give this show a listen. We will be expanding more outside of sports as we get into the off season of football and hockey. 
probably will be expanding a little bit more in that because the Red Wings aren't that good right now. But let's pick up where we left off. I had to leave real quick and take care of something. So we'll get right back into it. As I said, Michigan has been making some coaching changes. And they have actually promoted Jay Harbaugh from running backs coach to special teams coach, which means they think they're which means they're going to have a running back coach opening, obviously. And I don't know if they have filled it yet or they have someone in mind, but it's something to take a look in. No, I don't think it's going to be Mike Hart because, one, he has a higher position at Indiana right now. He's an assistant head coach. And, two, I don't think he'd ever want to come to work with Jim Harbaugh because during during Harbaugh's career at Stanford and during Mike Hart's career at Michigan, somewhere down the line they had it. A kind of exchange of words. I think Harbaugh said something about Michigan's academics, and Mike Hart, you know, clapped back at that. You know, then Jim Harbaugh sent like an email to the athletic director or something, stating, "You know, I didn't mean anything by this." Blah blah blah. So I don't think Jim Harbaugh and Mike Hart would be able to coexist on the same staff together. And I don't think it'd be a good idea unless they reconciled their differences which I think would be pretty easy to reconcile. But, you know, you get people with big egos like Jim Harbaugh and Mike Hart, and it's very, very difficult to put that aside for the better wealth of a program or whatnot. So there are some interesting coaching changes. Also, Michigan has another transfer. Michael Dumfor, a defensive lineman, I think he believes defensive tackle, is transferring out for his fifth year of eligibility, which would be his grad grad year or whatnot. So, and he will be the sixth Wolverine to transfer, which is either a good sign or bad sign, uh, depending on the situation. A lot of their transfers are transferring out for the last year of eligibility, they're a grad transfer. True Wilson, grad transfer. Michael Dunford, grad transfer. I That offensive tackle, I believe he was, or he was an O-lineman, Spanless or something like that. He was, I think he had like one, maybe two years left. All of these are just seeking more playing time, better, maybe a better opportunity at a different program to expand their horizons a little bit or, you know, to get more playing time, whatever it is, you know, Hey, wish them the best because, you know, at the end of the day, you have to make the right decision. That's best for you. And hopefully they made that decision. And there's been an interesting article that was released by Michael Spath. I've listened to some of his interviews. I know he was on he's going the huge show from time to time. And very knowledgeable guy. He has his, I think, own radio show. I think he has, obviously probably does his own 
podcast as well, but he did the scathing. It was quoted by M. Mgoblog.com as scathing article about the culture in Michigan. And we'll just read some of it. In August of 2019, first year offensive coordinator Just Gaddis jokingly referenced his starting quarterback spending too much time on the golf course during the summer, a comment that carried much more serious undertones behind the scenes. In fact, the players sent a message not electing Shea Patterson as captain. There wasn't a lot we could do because Shea was our starting quarterback, but we wanted to let him and our coaches know we weren't happy with his work in the summer. Both Joe Milton and Dylan McCaffrey outworked him, and then coach immediately went against our decision and named him a captain. A recent departure shared, guys weren't happy. A former player noted the beginnings of the end for the Brady Hoke regime was when Hoke and his staff then began playing favorites and giving leeway to certain players, including Devin Funches, that they didn't give the entire team. He let Funches get away with stuff in practice and in games. He wasn't held accountable and was, and that created a lot of rock room issues. The players shared, within days of the captain announcement, facing speculation in the media and among the fan base of discontent with their ranks, Harbaugh named Patterson and senior safety Josh Metellus as alternate captains. From the moment Shea arrived, he was treated differently, like he could never do anything wrong. Another recent exiting player shared with WolverineDigest.com, Will and Spate, General Corn, Brandon Peters would all get chewed out for things they just looked the other way with when it with when it came to shape. And I read that. I guess that was this was submitted by Wolverine Devotee on January sixteenth, twenty twenty, at four forty p.m. This is from an article. By Michael Spath. And that is telling us a lot about the Michigan program and where it's heading and why it's probably not going to be taking the next step. My only thing that I cannot wrap my head around is why out of all the players would you decide to give Shea Patterson preferential treatment. He was nothing special, first of all. Everyone could see that. He was nothing special. For some reason, Jim Harbaugh had a hard-on for this guy. And here I am trying to not sound like I'm you know, talking to a bunch of Marines, but now I am trying to be a little bit more professional now. For some reason, Jim Harbaugh Really liked this guy for some reason. Gave him preferential treatment against probably what Josh Gaddis wanted. You know when the offense wasn't really clicking at first in the beginning of the season? Yeah, I mean, maybe Josh Gaddis maybe wanted a different quarterback. And maybe that's why he wasn't really calling 
plays like he did at the second half this season, even though it went. I don't think we. I don't think we've fully seen what Josh Gaddis implement wanted to implement in this offense, because I think he was limited by Shea Patterson, and that he had to start Shea Patterson. Let's say he wanted to stop start Joe Milton or Dylan McCaffrey, but Jim Harbaugh's no, Shea Patterson. Even though I never, I never thought he had. He was he had good at about everything, like just good. But he didn't have that one elite skill or those two really great elite skills. I mean, he was he had a decent deep ball, he had threw a decent pass, he threw a decent you know, he had decent mobility. Everything was about him was good. But he didn't have that one one thing that was exceptionally great. Like, a lot of you know, quarterbacks back in the day, they either read the field really well, they had a rocket for an arm, but their mobility absolutely sucked. But it didn't really matter because they had a rocket for an arm and they made good decisions. And Russell Wilson might not have the world's strongest arm. He has a strong arm, but he's able to be very mobile and make plays happen with his feet. You know, it, you know. I mean, the, some quarterbacks have two things that they're, they're really good at. It. They're really mobile, and they have a good arm. And in case of Patrick Mahomes, he's he's mobile, and he has a rocket for an arm. Shea Patterson didn't have that one thing that would make set him aside or set him apart from everyone else. But for some reason, they absolutely loved him. Coach Harbaugh absolutely loved him. And, you know, I kind of got that feeling. When he would talk about Shea Patterson, like, you know what, I think Shea Patterson had a really great game. He was, he was really on target. And we're, we're looking, it's like he overthrew the wide receivers like eight times, or and he underthrew this. I mean, either he, he was trying to throw, thinking that he was trying to throw it away or whatnot. But it all makes sense. It's, you know, even, you know, if this is not a trusted source, which I believe he is a trusted source, that it is it lines up with a lot of things that we were that we were seeing this offseason or during the season, I should say. And some of the things that Jim Harbaugh was saying about or what he has said about his quarterback, Shea Patterson, throughout the time he was in at Michigan. But we'll dive into that a little bit more later on, maybe down the road. <laughs> and we're going to get into some NFL playoffs. A lot of great games that happened last week. Baltimore and Tennessee is the one game I regret not watching because that was an epic Epic performance by Derrick Henry and the Tennessee Titans. And I, what I'll say about Derrick Henry, I haven't been able to watch him as much this postseason, and I'm regretting it because he's putting together one of the great postseason performances that we've seen in a while. And I'm not saying it's like the all-time great performance, 
But by a running back, it's probably one of the greater performances we've seen in a while in the postseason from a running back, collectively, you know, from game to game. It was past two games against New England and against now Baltimore, two teams that have really good defenses. And he just ran all over them. I think they were nothing. I mean, he had like 200 yards total each game. And I'm very sad that I'm missing that. But I won't be able to, I won't miss it this Sunday, which I'm happy about. I will be watching Tennessee versus Kansas City. That's gonna be that's gonna be a very interesting matchup. Because you, on one hand, you have one team that loves to air it out and they like to run a lot of plays. They play at a faster pace, score a lot of points. And then you have one team that likes to control the clock, that likes to run the ball down your throat. And they have developed, or their quarterback has emerged to be just what they needed. It's it's the battle of two different styles. We're going to be going at it. One that likes to run, control the clock, eat away at the clock. One that likes to play at a fast pace. Score at will. It's going to be very interesting. Uh, I think KC has gotten a lot better on defense as the year has gone by. And if you remember correctly, KC had one of the worst rushing defense early on in the season. I think they definitely improved on that. But it's going to be this is going to be their biggest test. Biggest test to date so far. Or I shouldn't say so far. It's going to be their biggest test. Because if they can't find a way to stop Derrick Henry and give the ball back to Patrick Mahomes, they're going to be in for a long day. And it's going to be very exhausting for them. If you're trying to see, your hope is exactly that way. Because you don't want to give the ball back to Pat Mahomes and Kansas City. They have tons of speed. And Andy Reid just is an offensive guru that knows when to call plays, adds wrinkles, very multidimensional, but always slips up in the postseason. I think he's had a Hall of Fame career already. You see that Bill Cowher and Jimmy Johnson both well-deserved getting into the Hall of Fame this year. And I remember hearing, listening to a couple of talk shows, some saying that, oh, he has to win a Super Bowl in order to cement himself in Canton. I'm just thinking, no, he doesn't. He already has a Hall of Fame career. Yeah, that is one thing that's really missing from his Hall of Fame career right now. But even if he doesn't win that Super Bowl, he is by far getting into the Hall of Fame because of how he's coached over the past, I think, what, almost 20 years now. He spent a long time at Philly. Then after after he got fired from Philly, I think, and I'm not too sure if he took a year off or went straight to KC, but he just somehow rejuvenated his career and picked up right where he almost left off in Philly, even though it kind of got sour towards the end at Philly. But 
It's like he didn't miss a beat. He's like, all right, well, time to get going in a new city. Time to get going in a new city, and he's had success. I mean, he's not only that, he's doing it with two different quarterbacks so far, two different main quarterbacks, I'd say. You know, you know he traded for Alex Smith one year. Oh, he might have had a different quarterback than Alex Smith in his first year. I can't remember. He might have, but Alex Smith and now Pat Mahomes. You know, two Alex Smith, he was, he was a good quarterback. He really is. And now Patrick Mahomes has been an absolute stud. This is going to be one hell of a game. And then, of course, you got Kansas City, who's going to be facing Tennessee in the AFC Championship game. They went down, what was it, 24 nothing, And just like the National Championship game, even though this happened before then, before it, by halftime, KC, I think, had the lead. Or it was tied. I can't remember. But within a quarter, they've already... They already caught up to Houston, and they never really looked back after that. Kansas City goes on to score 51 points, and I think Houston only scores one more touchdown. Bill O'Brien absolutely got outcoached. Once again, not a shocker. This time, Deshaun Watson wasn't able to to bail him out. And now it's off to the offseason for him. And I don't know how he's going to be able to do both duties as a GM and a head coach. Only select select few people can do that to a degree of success. And one of them is obviously Bill Belichick, who he we coached under for a little bit. But you know how Bill Belichick coaches or how his coaching tree hasn't really quite added up the wins in the past. You know, they haven't been really successful. His coaches haven't. But Bill O'Brien has been kind of the exception to the rule. He's had some success, more than what most of the Bill Belichick uh, assistant coaches that go on to be head coaches ha- have had. And I think Mike Vrabel, and I'm not too sure. I know he's played under Bill Belichick, so I don't know if he's exactly part of the coaching tree, but he was with Belichick for a long time as a player. So, yeah, Houston just let it. Let it go. I mean, they they choked it away essentially. So now we talked about the AFC. Now let's talk a little bit about the NFC. You have well, last weekend you had Minnesota versus San Francisco. Minnesota essentially put the game in Kirk Cousins' hands and said, "Hey, win us this game, 
and San Fran. And we'll go and we'll play whoever is next. Hopefully it's Seattle. And then we or actually would be playing either against Seattle or Green Bay at one of the respective two. He did he crumbled. He exactly crumbled. They put the games in his hands. Why they didn't run it more in the beginning, I have no idea because that is the strength of your team. But they put it in his hands and he just absolutely crumbled. He stumbled. Wasn't able to hack it. San Fran took advantage of it. And they have a nasty defense. They absolutely just have a nasty defense. They have a great offensive line. What you want your team to be is they have. Dominant offensive line, check. Dominant defensive line, check. A leader in the secondary, Richard Sherman, check. They have some hard-nosed running backs, check. What else do you want? Now, hey, let's get a good quarterback, okay, check. That has the potential to be great. And we'll take a break, and we'll talk more about this after in the next segment. Okay, welcome back to the Michael Heath Show. If you haven't already, please give us a like on Facebook, the Michael Heath Show, as well as give us a follow on Twitter at Heath Show. Now, our presence hasn't really been that big on Twitter. I haven't really got too much involved in it. Well, I would like to grow it. Kind of hard doing both of them at the same time. Updating, you know, putting updates up and whatnot. And especially when you only have such limited time. So, but I am looking forward into trying to be more involved on Twitter like I am on Facebook. Well, in order to do that, <clears throat> I need to get more of a following. On Twitter, so if you're on Twitter, give it a like. <clears throat> and the reason why I give a little bit more, a lot more attention to Facebook is because we I have more likes on Facebook than I do on Twitter. So let's get back into it. Like I was saying, in the NFC side, Minnesota versus San Francisco. Minnesota choked it, not choked it away, but they stumbled, they crumbled. Kirk Cousins did. It was just not that great of a showing. And which brings us to Green Bay versus Seattle. And this was a great game. Now, there wasn't... Of course, like every other Green Bay game, it seems like you have some kind of referee controversy, but I really didn't see the controversy in this game like I've seen in previous games, I guess you could say. Because you could say, or people are saying, that the Jimmy Graham catch, when he was running the ball, and then he was tackled, that the spot was off a little bit. Or that it should not have been a first down. First of all, I kind of agree with the spot it got. Maybe it should have been put back a little bit, but it still would have gotten a first down. That yellow line is not true. 
it is not exactly true. It could be off just a little bit, either front or back. And I'm surprised I didn't say that enough during the broadcast. So I actually agree with that call. Just kind of like I agreed with the fumble that Green Bay that Green Bay's defense actually created. They ended up stripping one of the Seattle players, I believe. And ended up it should have been a fumble. And Green Bay probably would have gotten the ball. But what happened is that the referee decided to blow the whistle, calling the play dead. At that point in time, a lot of players are just giving up. And yes, there was a little bit of a scrum for the ball, but there wasn't really a clear recovery until at the very end where you can't really put any stock into that. Now, if it was clearly recovered right away, I think they would have probably given it to him, but they're not going to give it to them after they've blown the whistle dead and they called him down, said such said no fumble. And after digging through the players, they're not just going to be like, oh, since he had it, he clearly covered. No, they're not exactly going to do that. Unless they called it a live ball, then they, they're probably going to take a little bit more into presidents take it you know as a live play i agree with how they called it on the how they called it in the replay because you can't really give green bay the ball i didn't agree with them not letting it play out like it should have it should have been ruled a fumble on the field so you would let the play play out you would have seen who clearly would have gotten the ball then whether it would have been san francisco or Green Bay, and then you could have been able, you would have taken a look at it afterwards. So they botched it on that. I mean, NFL, it just has, they they have stupid rules, stupid penalties. The refs are, you know, they make bad, bad decisions with no repercussions. They really need to get some full-time refs, really do. But Green Bay did earn that win. Like they don't earned all most of their wins this season. Besides that Detroit game, I believe they still got screwed out of, or or Detroit got screwed out of. But just like great teams, they capitalized on their opportunities, and that's what you have to do is capitalize on your opportunities. So you're getting Green Bay versus San Francisco in the NFC Championship game. So far, my my picks in the playoff. This is about by far my worst year of picking in the playoffs. There was one year where it was absolutely perfect. And I have face I had Facebook to prove it. Because I posted him all. I think it was the year that the Ravens won the Super Bowl, I believe. This year has been kind of the complete opposite. I think I only got one or two right. So I'm completely horrible. So this is why I don't gamble. Because I'm on a complete cold streak right now. I would be owing a lot of money. So there it is. But Green Bay versus San Francisco. Early in the year, Green Bay 
went out west. They got hammered by San Francisco. They went out west again, and I think they played... It was LA Chargers that they played. Got hammered by them. They're going out for a third time. Is the third time going to be the lucky charm for the Green Bay Packers to win out there? I don't think so. Seems like every time they went out west, they absolutely got their bell rung. They got owned. And what I like about San Francisco is that they went in the trenches. They have players on every level of the defense, as well as the offense. They have good wide receivers. They have, you know, it, it, overall, it's a well built, great team. And personally, I think they are, they will be stamping their trip to the Super Bowl or punching their ticket to the Super Bowl. Tennessee versus Casey, I think this is going to be the better game. I think this will be closer. But I wouldn't be surprised if Casey just pulls out and just Andy Reid goes, hey, this year lines up for me to win a Super Bowl. I kind of like Tennessee. I kind of also like Kansas City. But I think it's going to be a Kansas City versus San Francisco Super Bowl. I wouldn't mind Tennessee versus San Francisco or Kansas City versus San Francisco, as long as it's not Green Bay because I can't stand their fans right now. I mean, I'm, I have a lot of great friends that are Green Bay Packer fans, but their fans are super annoying on Facebook. It is unbearable at times, along with Bayer fans. They're actually unbearable too sometimes. I think all fan bases are unbearable to be honest with you now that you see on social media you see some of the a-holes and whatnot so that'll be pretty interesting to see how this plays out and see who will punch their tickets to the super bowl I would love to see Tennessee get one, or I would love to see Andy Reid get one. You know, I, either way, I think I'll, I'll be rooting for the AFC in the Super Bowl. Either way, it's cut. I'll be because Tennessee they never won a Super Bowl. Kansas City, Andy Reid. I want. I would love to see him get. You know, that, finally get that elusive Super Bowl. It's always been a, you know, evading him. Love to see that happen. All right, let's shift our focus here. We'll be sticking with kind of a football theme, but we're going in a different direction. We are going in a different direction. Now, when I got up this morning before I had to go snowplow the driveway and go and get some work done or help out my uncle tear up a tile floor i went on netflix catch i was playing and watching that 70 show and i actually caught that they have the mind of aaron hernandez 
killer inside the mind of Aaron Hernandez. It's a mini series. It's three episodes long, each about an hour long, if not a little bit more. And it is one heck of a series. It just goes through a lot of twists and turns. And Aaron Hernandez, I mean, you think now what you know about Aaron Hernandez, you know, him being convicted killer and whatnot. You know how the story ends. You know the plots, you know, what happens. But you just don't know exactly the depth of it. You know, a lot of people think, oh, he's a killer, he's a thug, blah, blah, blah. He wasn't like that at all, really, at least towards the end of his life, it seemed like. He, that he was more, you know, his, no, that he had that, you know, had a bad upbringing as well. And, you know, it wasn't not that true. He actually grew up in like the average American town, you know, going to the average, you know, high school, you know, in middle, middle America, you know, middle America. I mean, a lot of them was just, you know, about his life was kind of average, you know, just that, you know. One thing led to another. I mean, and it just messed with him. And I think what happened was is that, you know, when you watch it, you're just trying to piece things together. And you're just seeing everything just evolved. Like, as soon as his dad died, that's when it started taking turns for worse. And, you know, and how he might have been gay or that he actually was gay or might have been bisexual or. You know, they had a former offensive tackle for the Patriots, Brian O'Callaghan, who was openly gay. And he said, you know, when you when you're gay, you don't want people to know. We call it, you know, you put on a beard, you know, you're wearing a beard. Pretty much you're trying to cover you being gay. And that could be anything. You know, you could have a wife and kids like Aaron Hernandez. Did. Or you could be, you know, trying to be all manly and this and that and you know you're just trying to you know take the scent off away the gay trail you know a lot of that just kind of makes a little bit of sense I mean when as you're watching like you know it, it could be part of gay because you know when you look at some of the cases you look at the Odin Lloyd killing and that crime. There's no really motive. Like you don't have a motive. You don't know why. It's still to this day. You don't know why he killed Odin Lloyd. A lot of people think. Or it's suggested that. He lost Aaron Hernandez's trust. He found out something about Aaron Hernandez. Maybe he found out he was gay. Who knows. It's just mind boggling. Like what. What was going on? Before that, I mean, he killed two guys in a car in a, and for not at a nightclub, but when they were leaving the nightclub in their car, Paul had a guy that he was with had him pull right next to him, whips out a gun and fires into the car, killing them both with a 38. Then you have his little bit of troubles at Florida. They say, oh, he failed multiple drug tests and that he, 
got in an altercation at a nightclub because he wouldn't pay his bill. And then when the owner told him to pay his bill, he punched the owner in the ear, rupturing his eardrum and everything, which just sounds very painful. And then you hear that Urban Meyer come out. Oh, he only failed one drug test. Even though the guy openly admits that he was smoking almost every single day, which means if he took one drug test, and they always said, oh, he shut out a game. Typical Urban Meyer allowing Aaron Hernandez to be a piece of, piece of crap and not doing anything about it when he could have changed. He could have absolutely, you know, got his life on track, but looked the other way because he didn't want to upset Aaron Hernandez and have him go to a different program so he couldn't use him anymore. It was kind of, you know, you take a deep dive in sports and some of the stuff that they make these young kids go through because it's a billion dollar corporation. It's just kind of screwy, man. It's kind of, it's kind of messed up. It's no, it's really messed up. They actually state that in in this, in this series. And it's, I highly recommend you watching it. If you have Netflix, even if you don't have Netflix, find a way to watch it. I mean, I mean, I'm sure you have access to Netflix somehow. Either you use someone else's screen name or whatever account, you know, whatever. So you have the Owen Lloyd killing. You have the nightclub killings, the car shootings, college trouble. And he actually attempted to murder one guy. And I forgot the guy's name in the series. He actually attempted to murder. He actually shot him and left him for dead. Someone seen, heard the, actually the gunshot, seen the guy's body, called the cops. Got, you know, paramedics get there, save his life. And at this point, this is where they thought that Aaron Hernandez started getting really paranoid, knowing that the guy that he just shot had guns, was a violent gangster, essentially, kind of violent gangster, had the tools, the people to do him harm. And that's when they started getting paranoid. And eventually got a second residence from the new, which he got help from the New England Patriots, get second residence, somewhere he kind of hide out in, I guess. And he actually goes up to Bill Belichick and say, hey, blah, 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 I got this altercation, blah, 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 I need a, he wanted a trade. He essentially requested a trade, but Bill denied it because, you know, you're running a multi-billion, you're in a multi-billion dollar industry. You're not going to give out, give up your valuable asset. Which now, I mean, if you look at it, this makes a lot of people look bad. Bill Belichick could have gotten him the hell out of there. I could have changed his life. Really could have. Probably still would have gotten busted for murder, though, because, I mean, this happens after the fact that he killed two, 30 people and tried to kill him with a fourth one. It is actually a great documentary series. It just makes you more in-depth into Aaron Hernandez and his life and gays him being gay is that a big deal no no one really cares i believe he was gay well you have a t- guy telling me that he was having intercourse with him not intercourse but they were roughhousing or messing around 
in high school. You know, maybe, maybe this whole bad guy persona was a way to, you know, beard that uh, gayness. I don't know. There's nothing wrong with that. I really don't care. You're gay. You're gay. That's no big deal. So. I think that will wrap it up for today. Enjoy watching Championship Sunday. I will not be doing a podcast next week. And probably... And probably not the week after that as well. So my next podcast might be after the Super Bowl. Maybe if I can sneak a podcast in sometime in the next couple weeks. It's going to be very busy for me. I'll try to, but if not, I'll talk to you after the Super Bowl. Have a great week and Super Bowl. If I don't talk to you then, who knows? But until next time, take care. Hey, one quick thing before I leave you guys. I just want to make sure everyone knows that I have not yet finished watching the Hernandez special on Netflix. And I just continued watching a little bit more of it. And it turns out, like I said, that he was supposed to be guilty or he killed two people at that... He met at a nightclub, or well, we'll see what happens. He was at a nightclub. Apparently, someone spilled drinks at him. He got frustrated. Out later, he seen him again. When he, then he drove by them in their car, pulled out a gun and shot them. Well, he, in that case, he turned out to be not guilty. And I just want to clear things up before it gets a little bit too haywired. You know, that I was wrong. And yes, I just want to make it clear that I haven't finished watching the last episode. I guess I still got about like eight minutes left into it. I just want to clear that up. And there's a couple other things and that it seems like at the end takes a little bit of a turn or a twist that he may have also been not guilty or it kind of led us to believe that, you know, there's a chance that he might have been non-guilty for his other crime or killing of Odin Lloyd. Because in the state of Massachusetts, when he ended up committing suicide, since he still had an open case, but he was appealing that ruling, it was still ruled an open case, you commit suicide or you end up dying while they're yourself an open case, you are automatically not guilty. Or it's pretty much expunged from your record. Which end up happening. So technically no one has ever been ruled or no one has ever has been ruled guilty in the Odin Lloyd case, technically by the according to the law in the state of Massachusetts. So he pretty much got cleared of it just for the fact that he killed himself. And there's a law saying that if you kill yourself while you're in custody, while you have an open case, you, in fact, 
are not guilty at that point. Maybe they can't put a, I guess they don't want to put a guilty verdict on a dead man, essentially. And it raises up a question of why he killed himself. Because he looked like he put a lot of effort into making himself look not guilty for the two Alice Calm nightclub murders that he, when he was driving by or when we stopped at a stoplight, he ended up murdering two guys that were supposedly spilt a drink on Aaron Hernandez. He put a lot of effort into making them be not guilty for that plea. And I think the reason why he did that was knowing that law in Massachusetts. He's like, no, I have to take care of this first. If I if I can get non-guilty here, which I think was in the state of Florida, then I can go back to Massachusetts, hang myself, and my daughter can live a great life after I'm dead. Because I think he's still going to get, she's going to get millions of dollars. I think that's still open. But yet, I still have not finished it. I still got like eight minutes. I just want to clear that up to make it look sound like, hey, I'm a little bit more knowledgeable than what I may sound like. Or that, you know, I didn't put that disclaimer out there that I didn't watch all of it yet. So some of my the stuff I was saying was kind of skewed and misleading. All right, have a good one.